The Start On Demand. On demand. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Today we celebrated by speaking with McConnell Dance Studio, which has deep and rich Irish heritage going back generations in this country and back to Ireland. We'll learn a little bit about St. Patrick's Day and why Irish dance has become such a big deal. The forecast is great in terms of temperature, but in terms of precipitation, some stunning numbers have been revealed as it pertains to Southern Manitoba. And since it's St. Patrick's Day, a party day for many, we talked to you, we got you to tell us stories about wild nights partying. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who is in for Jeff Courier. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day podcast for the start. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is in for Jeff Courier. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Although, Greg, I, uh, I realized that the only piece of clothing I own with any green in it, and I'm my last name is Irish. The only piece of clothing that I have with any green is the mask that we got from the little people of Manitoba. <laughs> That's a black mask. But the logo is green in the corner. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Stretch Armstrong over there. That's all I've got. <laughs> well, I don't have much that's green either. In fact, uh, in the history of our family, I had a green sweater once upon a time that caused massive drama and upheaval once upon a time when I was told to wear said green sweater for my school pictures. I think it was in grade three, and that epic confrontation remains very much alive in the history of uh, the Mackling family on Golding Street. I hated that green sweater. <laughs> Why? I just did. Green is just not my favorite color. Oh, so you I hated it because it. it was green? Oh, and- I hated it because it was green. There was no question about it. And so it's very fitting that my least favorite sports team on the planet is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It all makes sense now. Okay. It all comes back <laughs> to Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, listen, because it is St. Patrick's Day, we are going to check in at 9.05 with uh, somebody from McConnell Dance Studio, the owner of McConnell Dance Studio in Winnipeg. They're heavily involved in Folklorama. This is a dance studio that goes back 70 years. The owner's grandparents started this studio back in Ireland. So we're looking forward to talking to her because we want to get some background on St. Patrick's Day and talk about the cultural heritage because I think for a lot of us, uh, and no shame in this, I think, but a lot of people just sort of use St. Patrick's Day as an excuse to kind of throw away their inhibitions and have some fun, but I actually want to know what it means. I'm ashamed to admit that I don't really know much about... I actually don't know anything about the history of St. Patrick's Day. I'm just going to be brutally honest. (laughs) You went from not much to nothing? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to try. Why hide it? Just admit it. I don't know anything about it. I know they turn the Chicago River green on St. Patrick's Day as part of the celebration, and uh, oh, gosh... Uh, the the one armed man. What's what's the movie? Harrison Ford. The Fugitive. The Fugitive. Doesn't that take place in and around St. Patrick's Day celebrations in Chicago? 
I want to say that it does. I, I, I could be incorrect on that. Jeff Braun would know. He but loves something that movie. tells me that perhaps it does. And that's about the extents, uh, extent of my knowledge on uh, St. Patrick's Day as well. It's just typically a good day to get together and party. Going to be, surprise, surprise, a little bit different this year. And I want to also ask her if green beer is offensive because that's oh. <laughs> because that's true that a lot of places do that right they dye their beer green yes and i know that i can't remember it might have been the king's head and they're opening at nine this morning and I, it might have been them on their social media where they said you will not find any green beer here uh so i know a lot of places are excited i think uh you pointed to a restaurant was it finn's i know jay kilgore yes. the owner of, or the who runs finn's over on grant and i guess does he run both of them yeah i think i think he's the proprietor <clears throat> Okay, and uh, yeah, no, he said that he's like booked up, reservations packed for the day. So a lot of places are going to be excited today. The Toad just reopened on Monday. I know Toad was on with Hal Anderson yesterday afternoon. Uh, so that's exciting because they basically opened for one day last year in their new location where the old Bucatinos oh, was. that's right. They were open for one day and then they closed their doors just ahead of everybody shutting down for the pandemic last Well, and year. let's face it, uh, for a lot of pubs, St. Patrick's Day is their busiest day of the year, and they lost out on it entirely last year. So it'll be uh, obviously a relief for them to open even under these uh, restrictive circumstances. Even my Baba yesterday, Brett, called me and she said, I'm going to be at home by myself tomorrow, but do you know where I can get green beer? And I said, do you have beer in the house, Baba? Yes. I said, do you have food coloring? Maybe. Well, just put some green food coloring. Is that all you do? I said, yeah, that's a restaurant secret. It's not coming out of the keg that way. <laughs> just a little drop of green food coloring. So, uh, yeah, I gave away a secret yesterday. I hope, I hope Baba appreciates that. She celebrates today. And one thing we also appreciate is this extended forecast. I can tell you that I know of at least... And I kind well, not you know what? No, I'm also going to flip on this. I don't hate that I'm turning everything into golf, but two golf courses that I know of are opening in the next few days. Southside is opening tomorrow, and Bloomberg is opening on Saturday because this long term forecast, at least for the immediate long term, is solid. So at 805, who are we talking to? David Phillips, of course, senior climatologist with Environment Canada. We will ask him about the long-term forecast. How unusual is this? I mean, I know we do get warm days in March. It's not unusual. But if you look at the long-term forecast, and depending where you look, there's a possibility that these plus-side temperatures could continue right through until the end of the month or close to it. So what do we anticipate? And also just how dreadfully dry it has been. Yeah. Our friend at Rob's Ovs on Twitter yesterday had uh, some disturbing statistics about the lack of precipitation in southwestern Manitoba and the Red River Valley. So we'll visit with David Phillips about that. That was pretty shocking when you, when you sent me that, how little precipitation we have had and. While I typically don't look forward to seeing precipitation in the forecast, we need some, and I think if we can get some over the next couple of weeks, that would be great. I think it's probably a good idea to start hoping for that. Less than 4% of Canadians who tested positive for COVID-19 
used the COVID alert app to warn other people that they might have been exposed to the virus. This is according to recent data from Health Canada. So Global's Jasmine Pisano has more. It's like you don't even have it. Like, honestly, it just sits in the background of your phone. Since the COVID alert app launched, about 535,000 Canadians tested positive for COVID-19. But less than 4% of them have used the app to warn others they might have been exposed to the virus. I have not received a notification since I installed it. It's just like zero exposures reported. There's like a monthly notification I received that says that it's still working. The COVID alert app is fully functioning in provinces from Saskatchewan to Atlantic Canada and in the Northwest Territories. But about 80% of smartphone users have not downloaded it. I honestly just never really thought to download it. It's just not a priority for me at this moment. When we're only seeing a small percentage of the population using these apps, they're essentially completely useless. Germany has a similar app, but this one sends test results right to people's smartphones. The app has been so effective that it's been hailed for helping to break the infection chain. The uptake in Germany for its own app is higher than in Canada with COVID alert. There's a bit of an apathy when the threat of that infectious disease is not fully appreciated by the population because we've actually been quite successful in controlling it. Health Canada told Global News that with the emergence of new COVID-19 variants and the reopening of the economy, it's confident that all jurisdictions will see the value in this app and in the increased benefits that it can provide to Canadians. And even with a vaccine rollout, experts agree there's still a chance the app may actually be useful but only if people use it properly. Jasmine Pisano, Global News. Some shockingly low numbers there, Brett McGarry. Yeah. You know, the fact that uh, a smaller percentage of people who were diagnosed with COVID-19 downloaded their information and used the app, then the people who actually overall downloaded the app, I would say, is bothersome. I forgot I even had it. I don't know the last time that I checked it or made sure that it was working and it sort of flies in the face of what a lot of people say i'm going to do whatever i can to fight covid19 and to be responsible well i mean it sounds as though if you know we don't know if the app in canada is as robust as the app in germany that they were uh, discussing in that report but uh clearly this has been a little bit of a bust Well, and here's the thing with this app. My understanding is that for it to work, you have to have your Bluetooth activated on your phone at all times. That's my understanding as well. And not only that, Brett, it's also my understanding that your phone needs to be open. And I could be corrected on that, but that was my understanding. You know, it can't be locked. Oh, well, at the same time, if that's the case, you would just your battery would die almost instantly. But I. And I, like, I, I'm just, I Googled it. Is it unsafe to leave your Bluetooth on your phone? And there are several articles here. Some of them are a little dated, but some of them are more recent. It's saying stop, leave, stop leaving your smartphone's Bluetooth on because it can, ex- it can open you up to potential hacks. So I need to look into that further. But I admit, I do not have the COVID alert app on my phone. And that's because I am not comfortable leaving Bluetooth active all the time on my phone. <laughs> It is St. Patrick's Day, which means party time for a lot of people. So we want to have a chat in general about the best parties you've ever been to, best party night, best party day, whatever. Tell us a story about a crazy party time you had. 
At 204-780-6868, shoot us a text. Chance to win $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. We'll give that away just after 9.15. Cam Poitras is here. Jeff Forte is here. Jeff Braun is here. And Greg, you have a song in the hopper here. So uh, do you? how does this work? you want me to just fire it or you want to tee it up? Press play. Love Presidents of the United States of America, the song is Lump. It's only about two minutes and 12 seconds long in reality. Uh, But the band that we had at a housewarming party in Vernon, B.C. played it for about a half hour straight. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) we uh, lucked into this incredible house with a pool and a walkout basement out in in the Vernon Hills. When I was about 25, uh, my brother and I and uh, his girlfriend and another roommate, and uh, we were in the restaurant biz in the day, and uh, our buddy Darcy was in a band, and we were like, hey, Darcy, do you think you and your band would come and play our housewarming party? Without question! (laughs) And this was our big request at the end of the night, and uh, they played it over and over and over again. There is video evidence of what went ha- went on and happened to uh, one of my roommates, but this is about as much of the story as I'm prepared to tell. All right. Half hour of lump. That doesn't sound like a good party to me. <laughs> <laughs> Live band? <laughs> 30 minutes In your straight? rec room? It was I, fantastic. I always preferred... Play uh, it again! Weird Al's Gump. I was good for that one. <laughs> uh, Poitras, what do you got? Well, I, I got lots, but I'll keep them, you know, just like G-Max said, I'll keep those to myself, especially when I was in Europe for a month uh, backpacking. Oh but uh, oh. um, I'll say the first, and one of my rules of vacation is uh, on your first day of vacation, you have to... You have to get trashed, and so we were in uh, we were in Puerto Rico. The whole family went to Puerto Rico, and so, anyways, everybody went to bed, and, and me and my uncle Richard, and my uncle Mark, and, and my brothers Shane and Colton, we we stayed up, and uh, our our goal was to empty the entire uh, fridge of beer which we picked up right off right off the airport, and so, anyways, we had the there was um. Uh, at the at the house that we rented in Puerto Rico, there was uh, like an island, and we filled the entire island with with beer. If you couldn't even put another one on, because it would send another one off of the edge. And so, anyway, so we're, she, my brother Shane looks at me and he goes, "Well, we should probably clean this up." And I said, "No, I want my I want mom to wake up and see this." And uh, so she <laughs> she did. And when I got to, when I woke up, obviously I wasn't feeling too good. When I woke up, uh, I looked over and it, it had been cleaned up. My mom was just looking at me, just shaking her head, and I said, "Yeah." So that was a pretty good one. All right. Yeah. Good, that's a good vacation rule. Get <laughs> <laughs> On the first night. First night. You have to give her. Did you say trashed? Well, you just pick your word. There's a million of words. Oh, I know. Wasted. I, well, snaked. <laughs> snaked? I yeah. think we need to build um. I think we need to build a list of the best <laughs> words for uh, getting uh, intoxicated. Okay, we've got two minutes. we got to get through Jeff Braun and Jeff Forte. Jeff Braun, go. Okay. Uh, back in college, when I was living in Brandon, we had a regular routine, me and about uh, three or four other guys. It would start with uh, going out to Frank's Chicken at about 7 o'clock for dinner, because you could get a nice chicken dinner for like $3.50. And we were a college student, so that sounded good, and it was super tasty. Then we'd usually go to the bowling alley or some uh, kind of a, a quieter place to have some drinks, uh, like where there's a lounge, that sort of thing, hang out there. And then we'd hit like the nightclubs later on. And, and Brandon doesn't take long to hit all the nightclubs. And um, I remember we got kicked out of Houston's there a couple of times. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure 
we're still blacklisted from the hotel that's attached to it. We, got, <laughs> we had our graduation party there, and they told us to never come back. So, um, but we did. We had a night like, and then we'd end our night at a Robin's Donuts or something at, from like two to four in the morning, just <laughs> drinking coffee and eating donuts, and that was awesome. We did that so many times, and it was always just a blast. Houston's, I forgot about that place. And uh, Forte, what about you? Uh, I had three buddies who all lived together and they lived in a house and of course you know it's kind of the party house so every weekend something would be going down whether it's uh one guy tackling another guy through a wall or else through a wall through, through a wall made a big hole in the wall it was it was, it was great i laughed so hard <laughs> i laughed so hard or, or else you know we'd be in the backyard and they'd be having a fire and oh we're out of firewood so what do they do they start taking down the fence the neighbor comes out screaming at them and the guy's just like oh we'll, we'll build you another one they got evicted like a month later. So. <laughs> no fence built. All right. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868. We need you to tell us about a wild party time that you had, whether it was at night, whether it was during the day. doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be St. Patrick's Day related. could be vacation. could be just at your home. Tell us a story, 204-780-6868, for your chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza, and we're going to give that away just after 9.15. And just very quickly here, Greg Don says, and this is from when his days when he was in a band, he says, this lump story reminded me of a bar we played. We played Beastie Boys right to party for 20 minutes once. <laughs> And he was the drummer, I think, Don, so his hands must have been killing him after that one. Love it. We are asking you to text us a story, 204-780-6868, of a wild party night that you had. Because today's St. Patrick's Day, and it's a party for many, of course, not like it usually would be. We're under we're in a pandemic, and health officials across the country are urging people to just take it easy. And some provinces have even taken special measures today, like BC. They are shutting, down, shutting them down at 8 p.m. Can't serve alcohol beyond 8 p.m. Well, that's a smart move uh, on, on their part, because... Uh, Let's face it, this is one of the more popular party days. Hey, uh, McGarry, you sort of slipped under the radar there with regard to your party. Are you prepared to share your best party story? It's not my best, but it's an interesting one. It's one that just came to mind, and it's a funny one, so I'm going to go with this one because this uh, takes us to Gimli, takes us to Viking territory, and we. this was during one of our Laker Classic weekends. At that time, it may have been the Laker. I think it actually would have still been known as the Laker Invitational where the boys head out for a golf weekend and typically if we would do it in the interlake where my friend has a cabin in winnipeg beach on pine street we would always make sure to head out to the viking inn in gimli to the bar i think it's actually called two friends pub but we just called the viking and we tried to get into the viking no we went to the viking but there was no one there but the bouncer said there's a party of some sort there's a social happening next door at the gimli rec center so we wandered over to the gimli rec center now by this point most of us are already three sheets to the wind. And uh, one of the guys, who shall remain nameless, he uh, first, when when we went into this thing, uh, we all had to produce ID, he tried to get in with his uh, social insurance number uh, <laughs> as, a, as a form of ID. That was not the case. And then later in the evening, he took a tumble. Like he, I remember he was 
just trying to turn around, but as he turned around, he managed to fall like through three tables. Like he fell into one and took out three tables. Drinks were scattered everywhere. It was quite wonderful. He uh, was very inappropriate uh, with a young lady oh, on no. the dance floor. And then uh, eventually, eventually we couldn't find him. Finally, he, we saw him. He was the last person to come out of the out of the rec center, and he says to to me and my, like we me and my buddy actually went back to go find him. The others had already made their way to go, and they said we said we got to go get him. And we see him come out, and he's like, "Can't find my phone." So like eventually. Ten of us were scouring this field at three in the morning looking for his phone. I don't remember if we ever found his phone. But uh, good times in Gimli, of course, fueled by a celebratory beverage or two. What year would that have been? Uh, I don't know. Ought four? Ought five? I don't know. Went to an outstanding social in that same facility in 1990. 1990. Oh, wow. So that was a, a tradition. <laughs> so I guess that's the thing. Go to the Gimli Rec Center with your friends and have a good time. Since it's St. Patrick's Day, we're asking you just to tell us a story about a wild party that you have attended. And Greg, we got some great stories so far. I want you to close your eyes when I read this one and just imagine this. I went to university in Florida. This is from Jesse. One day on campus, the Transformers blew and there was a total blackout. It turned into the biggest street party I've ever seen. Students on building roofs, blasting music from their cars and a huge tarp, <laughs> slip and slide. It was the most fun night of my life. And, you know, I might be 52 years old. Uh, but uh, I I want to go to that party and on like right now. <laughs> Co- I'm for putting COVID aside, I want to be there right now. That sounds fantastic. Is it okay for me to admit that? Oh uh, well, it would, instead of Frank the Tank, would you be Greg the Keg? <laughs> Greg the Keg. P- Greg but, the yes, Keg. Yeah, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> Does that sound like an amazing time? That sounds great. Epic comes to mind. So keep those texts coming, 204-780-6868. We will share them throughout the morning, including one from Lorraine. She has, Lorraine, pardon me, she has sent us a wonderful text, as always. It is St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Telling me, oh me, oh my, wasn't that a party? Nice call. Little, little Irish Rovers for you by request at 780 6868. If you have any more requests, feel free to weigh in at 204 780 6868. And on this St. Patrick's Day, according to one of the most dependable independent weather enthusiasts on social media, at Rob's Obs on Twitter, Southern Manitoba is in a word dry. Mm-hmm. Rob is a retired Environment Canada meteorologist and posts very complete data on a regular basis. A big shout out to you at Rob's Obs. Yesterday morning's post on actual precipitation versus normal levels since November had me immediately on the computer with a request to Environment Canada senior climatologist David Phillips and David Phillips joins us now. Good morning, sir. 
Good morning, and nice to be with you. Nice to hear Rob's name. He's a good, a good friend, former colleague, and uh, does a really good job of keeping you guys up to date with records and extremes and, and anomalies. Uh, a, good, a good person. Well, you know, uh, once upon a time we said it wasn't raining in Winnipeg until CJOB said so. And I think sometimes uh, with the weather stuff, uh, Rob has that tag now. But I have to ask you, David, do Rob's numbers add up? Almost all of the Red River Valley and southwestern Manitoba have received less than 30% of normal precipitation since November 1st? Yeah, guys, it really, and it's even maybe in worse than that. You go back to September. I mean, my numbers, I've crunched numbers from September through to now, and um, and and precipitation is uh, is just is way down. There was no replenishing of the soil moisture in those months of September, October. You normally get that. It has been bone dry. In fact, if you look at all of Canada, I don't think there is a drier place than southern Manitoba. I cannot find a place in southern central Manitoba Manitoba that has has say maybe fifty uh, percent more or uh, at least half of what they normally would get in that uh, that period. So yeah, it's made for a non-flood season, but this is this is concerning. Although I also have to recognize that November through to April, you typically only get twenty-five percent of your annual precipitation. That is really the dry season, and about three quarters of your precipitation comes from May through October and. Of course, the wettest month is June and July the next. When you need precipitation, farmers, growers, uh, ranchers need that to to bring the vegetation and crops uh, up to speed. But you're really in a deficit situation right now. Uh, it's um, it's going to take a monsoon to to correct that situation. Although you know, I mean, you still can get snow. I mean, typically 20% of your an- average annual snowfall occurs after the middle of March, and so it's not as if it's it's over. Uh, and typically, the snows that come in the springtime are are gold for farmers because they're usually full of, of moisture. They're they're not dry snow. It's it's kind of a moist, wet snow, and uh, and they're usually one or two day wonders. They're here today, gone tomorrow. But it does provide a nice drink of water for early crops or or give that soil moisture a kind of a, a kick ahead. So yeah, quite concerning. And of course, we can think of the forest fire season uh it's not quite as dry in the northern part of the province but uh that is um you know a, a good nice colorado low <laughs> i know commuters don't want to hear that but i think it's best for the most if we could get some precipitation in manitoba now in terms of the temperature we have had warm stretches in oh. the month of march in the past yeah. but uh, this looks like it, it might carry through for the foreseeable future what are you seeing yeah, you know, guys, it's it's really almost like a weather-free zone. I mean, it's been delightfully boring from a temperature point of view. And think about a month ago. I mean, guys, you know, the highs were like minus 25, not like plus 10 and plus or, or plus 10, plus 14. I mean, the next couple of days, tomorrow could be a record uh, uh, in terms of the warmth. And, and Saturday, the first day of spring, um, arrives about, I think, about 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it could be 14 degrees in, uh, in, in Winnipeg, and that would be a record for that particular uh, day. 
So we're talking, and that's the other aspects. Not only that is it atmosphere has forgotten how to precipitate in southern Manitoba, but these warm temperatures have also allowed more evaporation to uh, to take place. But what a difference a month makes. I mean, as I say, and you were in the the polar vortex a month ago, and now it's really more more American air, southerly air that uh, is is quite uh, and, and just wall to wall sunshine. I don't see any threatening weather in the next uh, the next week. It, it's almost as if March is going to continue like this. It's almost as if weather's it's been like a weather-free zone in the whole month of, of March. And, and temperatures, yes, they're not record high, but they're, they certainly are consistently high above normal. I think I counted one day this month so far where you have an all-freeze day, that where, where temperatures morning, noon, and night are below freezing. You normally would have 15 of those suckers, and you've had three. So, um, and, and, you know, it's not coming to an end. I look at the next uh, uh, two weeks, and it just shows nothing but a very similar kind of uh, of weather uh, coming, uh, it uh, there's no rescue rains uh, on the horizon, and uh, and and lots of sunshine and and uh, uh, melting temperatures. You've lost all your snow cover, uh, so and that's another thing. It's often in the springtime. Uh, spring is reluctant to come because you've got that snow cover. Any warm air comes, it kind of melts the snow first and then warms the air. Well, hey, there's no snow to melt. It's just going to be uh, a balmy kind of conditions, and hey, going forward, it just we don't see any change to that. Love when you use the term suckers. We've got about 20 seconds here, David. Really quick, I know your your background is monitoring the atmosphere, but you mentioned the snow cover essentially being gone. It, it, does that mean the ground is going to thaw quicker? And yes. so would uh, rain be beneficial? Normally it's not at this time of year because it just runs off the ground. Could the, the ground hold uh, rain and moisture from rain uh, right now? You make such a good point. That that's another element of it. Any kind of rains now, you'd you'd be worried if you got a frozen ground. It's just going to add water immediately to the uh, rivers and doesn't do any work for you in the soil. But with the soil, um, with the ground drying out, um, uh, any rains that fall, spring rains, would percolate into the ground, get into the uh, water table, and be very beneficial as opposed to creating a flood situation in other years. The the warmth uh, that, that 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 could possibly be a, a situation what happens. So whether it be snow or rain, bring it on because it'll go to work for you. Dave Phillips, Senior Climatologist, Environment Canada, joining us live on CJOB. Mr. Phillips, thank you very much, sir. You're so welcome. Bye-bye, guys. And I want to play something for you that I hope will make you smile, given that it is not what you would expect from this program. I want to play a clip here that was tweeted out by CBS, and it reads this March on The Young and the Restless. Phyllis, there's something I need to tell you, something I've never told you before. Nick and Phyllis. Okay, tell me. It's serious. It could change everything. So dramatic. Is there someone else? No. No way. There could never be anyone else. Okay, so just tell me. Okay. Well, maybe Sharon. I didn't have Lehigh over Duke like I told everyone I did. (laughs) She's aghast. What did you just say? I had Duke winning the whole thing. My bracket was in ruins. The Plumley brothers, they were amazing. What was I supposed to do? Get out of my hotel. Don't act like you didn't think Austin Rivers was unstoppable. Get too. out of my life. Get out of my life. 
she's just a guest. Yeah, Duke. The Young and the Restless, that tweet actually was from CBS Sports. Love it. And Michelle Stafford and Joshua Morrow. Love it. Oh, you know the actors' <laughs> names. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I mean, well, of course, Young and the that's great cross-promotion, by the way, from yes. CBS, because the Young and the Restless, while I've seen on Global in Canada, is a CBS program. And of course, March Madness, which did not happen last year, is happening this year. Yeah, of course, it'll be a little bit different. The first four is tomorrow, so that's the the two play-in games. And then the first round proper starts on Friday, which is kind of weird, which means the second round will end on Monday. Mm. But uh, this is a huge event, and it's going to look a little bit different this year, Greg, because two of the t- the country's top, consistently top teams aren't in it. Duke, not in it. Uh, are you waiting for me to shed a tear? No. I, I shallant. <laughs> Shallant. I love that. That sounds like some sort of a seafood. And uh, Kentucky isn't oh. in either. Oh, Kentucky's always is perennial, perennially one of my my go to picks. Now uh, Duke, they they say. I mean, they didn't have a good year. They had injuries, but uh, they actually had a positive test for COVID nineteen, right. which uh, they were actually able. They basically bowed out of the ACC tournament and said this this test is effectively ends our season. Uh, they, it, it's possible they wouldn't have gotten in anyway because the record was no good. But Kentucky finished with a nine and sixteen record, and uh, that's the worst win percentage in a season. Uh, by a preseason top 10 team since the preseason poll by the Associated Press debuted in 1961-62. So uh, living in the Okanagan Valley, uh, Gonzaga University's down, uh, basically down the lake in Washington State. So uh, I became a Gonzaga fan over the years. North Carolina is another go-to for me growing up with Michael Jordan, James Worthy on the Tar Heels. Mm. Uh, Kansas Jayhawks, the only NCAA basketball game I've ever been to was in uh, Kansas. Absolutely incredible. You actually saw the Jayhawks play in Kansas? Uh, Oh, it was so cool, man. man. It was amazing. My sister-in-law went to school there, so we had a little bit of an in. But um, where do the Jayhawks uh, rank? Do you know? And for everybody sort of rolling their eyes at this right now, why are you guys talking about college basketball and Young and the Restless? Well, two, nothing beats Young and the Restless. Second, do not ever turn down an opportunity to go into uh, an NCAA bracket it doesn't matter if you ever watch a game. Uh, do picks. It's a absolute blast. And typically the people who end up winning the bracket know nothing about basketball. That's why in the past they have offered as much as a billion dollars for a perfect bracket. It just cannot be picked. Yeah, 64 teams in the bracket. There's Kansas. They are a third seed in the West region. And you might see, like, anytime you see a March Madness bracket pop up, it's inspired by this. This is the event. It's one of the biggest sporting events in the world. Is that safe to say? Oh, no question. And uh, if Vegas wasn't busy last weekend, it will be this weekend, the following weekend, and the weekend after that. It's uh, apparently a blast to go and bet on all these games, especially on opening weekend. And that those play-in games, are those still in Dayton, Ohio? Do you know? Uh, I'm just looking at the bracket right now, trying to figure that Sorry out. Sorry to put you on the spot. I should have it up on my computer. I was just very much enjoying you driving the conversation on uh, on a sports topic here, Brett. <laughs> and then I I can't answer. No, no, those no, questions. no. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll double check that. <laughs> Dayton is kind of a neat town. It's a it's an older building, if I remember correctly, and. Uh, 
Yeah, they just, this is a game, sometimes it used to happen. I think they just used to have one play-in game. And then now they've turned it into two, so they've uh, they've turned it into a bit of a spectacle. Dayton Flyers, I think, is their oh, university team. Pardon or? me, first four. So it's first four of the first four games. So, oh, so eight now it's teams. eight teams eight, now? Eight teams, and I guess the first four teams determined. That makes sense. The first four teams who get into the Holy tournament smokes. based on four play-in games. Uh, Christian O'Malley is also big on this stuff. We're going to talk to him at some point either tomorrow or on Friday, host of the CJOB Sports Show, and get his take on March Madness. Or at least we hope to. We, I guess we have to ask him uh, if he wants to join us. It is uh, Dayton and Dayton, I think. Um uh, no, we can just tell him that he'll be here. <laughs> okay. Isn't that what you always say? Yes. Let's yes. just tell him. Typically, St. Patrick's Day is a happy day for many. Cause for celebration. Last year, of course, was different. You might recall it was the King's Head where they actually closed their pub on St. Patrick's Day uh, ahead, uh, sort of out of caution before the province ordered any shutdown. They were one of the first places to say we're going to close up shop and they missed out on uh, their biggest day of the year. Like, you to, Greg, you mentioned St. Patrick's Day is kind of like Christmas for a lot of pubs and restaurants, right? For sure it is uh, their biggest day of the year, uh, maybe bar none. Now, we don't ask this next question to be judgy, but on this day, which is a celebration for many, do you actually know what St. Patrick's Day is about? Because, Greg, I got to admit, I have no idea. I actually just posted something on my Twitter at GMACWPG if you want to check it out. The truth about why it's St. Patrick's Day and why we celebrate is better than the fiction. And it's a fascinating read. Let's turn to someone with deep Irish roots. Shailene McConnell Finnegan. Did I say your last uh, part of your last name properly, Shailene? You did very well. It's Finucan, yes. Finucan. Good effort. All right. Well, I appreciate the uh, pat on the back. Uh, Shailene is the owner of McConnell Dance Studio, which has 77 years of Irish heritage. We appreciate you taking some time with us on this very special day. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you, Shailene. Well, and happy St. Patrick's Day to you and all the listeners at home as well. So what does it mean to you this day? Well, St. Patrick's Day is, is probably our most important day of the year, being an Irish dance teacher and, of course, having Irish roots. Um, it's, um, for, for us, it's a day of celebration, but it's also a day of remembrance. Um, St. Patrick's Day is actually a religious holiday. So um, for us, it's not just about, uh, you know, the, the, the celebrations. It's also a very special day. Can you give us the Coles notes on what St. Patrick's Day is? Like, why is this a holiday for you? Well, St. Patrick's Day is actually the Feast of St. Patrick. So as I mentioned, it's a, it's a religious holiday, and basically it celebrates the arrival of Christianity to Ireland. So St. Patrick is said to have brought Christianity to Ireland, and that's why we recognize him today. <laughs> You know, uh, I have uh, friends whose kids are obviously big hockey players. Soccer is a big deal in our group of friends. Uh, curling is a big deal. And so volleyball, but so is Irish dance. It's a big thing uh, in many circles. Give us a little bit of the history of the dance studio. 
Yeah, Irish dance is, is actually worldwide known now. It's, it's really a, it's, it's an industry rather than just a pastime. And our studio was founded in 1947 in Canada by my grandparents, Sam and Sarah McConnell. And the tradition has carried on through three generations. My mom, Pearl McConnell, was an Irish dance teacher. And, of course, I had no choice but, but to become an Irish dance teacher and follow in, in the traditions. And my grandparents brought those traditions from Ireland um, when they immigrated from Ballymena, as I said, it's almost a hundred years ago that um, that our family started Irish dance. So, very proud heritage, and we're delighted to be carrying on the tradition. And it's my understanding that uh, your grandparents in Ireland they would actually go uh, sort of from community to community to teach the dance. Yes, that's correct. They actually met, my grandparents met in an Irish dance competition in Belfast. And um, that's that's how it was done back in the day. Um, the Irish dance was literally spread through what is called dance masters. And my grandfather was an Irish dance master. And he would travel from community to community and village to village and teach Irish dance. And in fact, I grew up hearing stories of how my mom used to ride in, in the, the back of his bicycle. And they'd ride all the way from Ballymena to Belfast, which... If you've been to Ireland, you know that's a long way. <laughs> so, so, and that's how they did it back in the day was to to promote the culture and um, and keep keep Irish dance uh, moving ahead. Well, uh, Irish dance is alive and well every August during Folklorama, and I know that your family's been uh, a big supporter of Folklorama and involved uh, pretty much the entire time. Is that right? Why is it so important to share your culture and heritage? Well, yeah, absolutely. Now, my grandfather was a founding member of, of Folklorama, which we're very proud of, and we've carried on that tradition through over 40 years of the festival. We've been involved in many Folklorama pavilions. Um, right now, we currently sponsor the United Kingdom Pavilion, and we are the huge supporters of Folklorama, and we love the festival because really important in maintaining not just Irish culture, but everyone's culture. We bring together such wonderful roots, and um, that's why Folklorama is such an incredible festival. Very, very privileged to be able to have something like that in Manitoba. should point out as well, our executive producer, Heather, uh, was very excited when she learned that you were going to be joining, because she says that uh, she's been taking dance, Irish dance since she was five in your studio. Yes, that's correct. Yes, we, we have... So many students through the years, just generations of Irish dance students, literally thousands of dancers who've come through the studio, either with my grandparents or my mom or myself. And it's such a pleasure to run into those former students. And sometimes they're generations. They bring back their children and, and even their grandchildren now. So it's, it's a wonderful pleasure to, to meet students from the past. Does it bother you that St. Patrick's Day often comes with the stereotype, you know, that all Irish people do is drink? Like, hey, it's St. Patrick's Day. Let's go get drunk. Well, it's, it's certainly a North American tradition, which I would say it doesn't bother us because we're in Canada and, um, and this is part of our Canadian traditions. It's not the same in Ireland, although things in Ireland are changing and they're now having parades and similar celebrations. Um, but no, it wouldn't bother us. I think we're happy to celebrate being Irish and we're delighted that other people are happy to celebrate with us. So it, it's a pleasure. Okay, now this might be the most important question we ask you in this time with uh, with us uh, is green beer offensive well if you like beer i think any beer is non-offensive but it wouldn't be something you'd find typically in in ireland but you know if you're going to drink 
beer and it's green on St. Patrick's Day, I, th- I say it's all right on, on one day of the year. Shailene, you've got a virtual event tonight, right? Yes, we do. We've got a virtual St. Patrick's Fest. Normally, we would be celebrating in person, but because of the pandemic and the constraints, um, we're doing a virtual celebration. And um, you can find out more about it on our website, mcconnelldancers.com. Shailene mcconnell Fanukin, the owner of McConnell Dance Studio, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Shailene, a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, My pleasure as well. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Mackling and McGarry on St. Patrick's Day. We're asking you to text us a story about a wild party. We've got two minutes, Greg. Let's rip through a couple before we do our winner. I went to celebrate a friend's wedding in Lethbridge in the mid-1980s at Esmeralda's Bar, which is on the edge of the deepest valley in Canada. I crawled out of the bar and fell asleep under a big pine tree in front. (laughs) I couldn't hear all the police that were out looking for me to see if I'd fallen over the edge, but my friend's... We're none too happy. Maybe it would have been better if you never... Any, anyway, never mind. Especially what happened almost identically the same three years later. We're supposed to learn our lessons. Uh, this one from Dave, 1993 Sunfest. Pearl Jam, drunk, high, mud, mud, more mud. I lost my shirt, my shoes, my friends, and my way back to my campsite. Woke up in a broken lawn chair, a filthy mess in the middle of open fields. Good times indeed. I think that was Eddie Vedro, and he said, uh, these <clears throat> mosquitoes are driving me crazy. That was an incredible night. And Wade says, my army buddies and I had a great night when I ended up falling asleep before them. They thought it would be nice to apply nair to my chest. I was awoken to my chest burning and my hair had all fallen off. Insane time. Here is our winning text from a loyal listener. We are not going to name this listener given the nature of what's been shared. This is nuts. I remember years ago we were at Club St. B, which at the time, Biker Bar, that was the one time I decided I would not be the designated driver for my fellow drunk cousins. We ended up at an after party, which turned out to be a recruitment session for the Hells Angels. There were two women making out in the hallway, apparently waiting for us to agree. So I'm glad that my blind cousin was there because they probably saw it wouldn't be helpful for them to have us, you know, him and us three drunks trying to do their bidding. So they finally just told us to get out. I guess I should have been scared at the time, but it was the one time I was so drunk I didn't really understand what was going on. Turns out we were within walking distance of my cousin's house and we stumbled there to pass out for the night. That's epic. That's from a movie. <laughs> it is. That sounds like something. And if it wasn't, Brett, from the person who sent it to us, I might not believe the story. On this St. Patrick's Day, we got uh, a text message that we feel like it's, it's important to read. Uh, let me put it this way. We don't want to not acknowledge the fact that not all Irish Canadians celebrate today. Our listener says this, March 17th isn't a celebration for all Irish. My Irish-Canadian great-grandfather didn't acknowledge it at all. He'd say, remember the 12th, which was a reference to July 12th, the Orangeman's Day. I actually wear orange today amongst all the green in memory of my great-granddad and his 
being a defiant Irish Protestant. So thank you very much for sharing that feedback. We appreciate uh, the perspective as well. I acknowledged I was not aware of that uh, perspective. So thank you. We appreciate it. And uh, feel free to comment anytime on our text line, 204-780-6868, or you can email Mackling at cjob.com, Brett at cjob.com, or McNabb at cjob.com. Now, while I grew up in Transcona, and we'll... Also, still think of Transcona as home, even though I now live in Osborne Village. As it was your buddy, Greg, who lives in Colorado, who took umbrage with us, referring to him as a former Winnipegger. He's like, no, 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 I'm not a former Winnipegger. I'm a Winnipegger who now lives in Colorado. Well, I'm a Transconian who now lives in Osborne Village. I don't think you need to live in Transcona to be familiar with this particular landmark. The old train! On Plessy's. That's right. Fundraising efforts continue to save. Now, maybe you didn't know it was called this, CN2747, and the campaign is ramping up with plans to build a protective shell around the old train engine. Peter Martin is the co-chair of Save the 2747 Committee and joins us now live on The Start. Good morning, Peter. Great to catch up with you again. Thank you, Brett. Great to catch up with you, and we miss you from Transcona. You'll always be welcome back in our community. Well, as they as they say, you can take the boy out of Transcona, but you'll never take the Transcona out of the boy. And you can you, you can change geographic locations on that saying if you like. So this isn't some random old train. What makes it so special, Peter? Well, this train was built in 1926, Brett. It was the first steam engine built in Western Canada. Before they were all built in the east, and this is the first one built in Western Canada and built in our Transcona CNR shops. And it was used in, in Alberta, it was used in Manitoba, did a lot of work, and it was uh, retired in 1960. So it's a historical piece for Canada, not a Transcona, in terms of the first steam engine built in Western Canada. So the train is now owned by the, the Transcona Museum. You made that happen. What was involved in, get, in making that deal reality? Well, the Midwestern Rail Association owned that engine, and in 2015, I was past president of the museum, and uh, we took on the project to say, why don't we make it our own? It's in Transcona. It's kind of not looking as nice as it should be. And I talked to Midwestern Railway Museum, and they didn't have a lot of money to spend in refurbishing, and they really wanted it to be preserved, and they couldn't do it very quickly. So I promised them that our Transcona Museum would find the money and find a way to preserve something that's sitting outside in the element and would not last very long. So they agreed and they sold it to us for more than 99 cents and less than a dollar one. So we're very happy that we own it. Well, you <laughs> know, the price. <laughs> well, you know what? That's a, that's a terrific testament to um, a, two groups coming together for the better good and to finding a way to preserve this piece of not only Transcona, but Winnipeg and Manitoba history, because without the CN, uh, does Transcona even exist, Peter? Yeah, it would not. That's why it was built here. And it's important. Oh, we took ownership. The first thing we did is let's understand this, this artifact we have. Let's see what makes it tick and what's wrong with it. We hired an organization to come and do an assessment and they said, less, it's got less than 10 years if you do nothing. So all of a sudden we said, we can't let that happen. It's, it's, our, our role as a museum is to preserve artifacts, especially something like this. It's so historically significant. And we need to make sure it's, it's available for future generations to get to see and stand beside and even climb on board if they'd like. How long has that train been sitting on uh, Plessy's, by the way? Well, 1960. Okay. Oh. 
19. So, so last year, just as a point of interest, last year, our curator, Alana and uh, Jennifer, the assistant curator, they found ways of finding money to have the, the train sandblasted so we could see what's under the paint. We found all kinds of rust perforations and things that were falling apart. So we had it welded and then repainted. And now we're saying we're at a point now, it's going to stay like this for a while, but it won't last forever. So we now have to protect it to keep it in the shape. So it looks pristine for everybody to see. And that's what the structure is all about. Now, Peter, I don't want to drag up any uh, bad memories, but one of our listeners reminded me, and I thought this would have been the ideal thing to do, the proposal to move the engine across the street and have it encased in glass in a association in conjunction with that brand new Transcona library. Whatever happened to that plan? Well, they were talking about it, but the problem was the massive undertaking to move this engine, which is sitting on something like 54 piles, and to physically get it across the street would have delayed the opening of the library. So they made a decision, which we supported, is, yeah, let's leave it where it is, where it can be viewed from the library, but where it remains in its spot. So that was taken off the table, but it was, it was considered at one time, and I thought, oh, that would be kind of neat. But logistically and timeline, it just couldn't happen, and I'm personally glad because it would have fallen apart, from what I understand, if we would have tried moving it. So this structure that you're hoping to build, that you're planning to build, uh, what is it going to look like? Well, it's going to be phenomenal. We, we're going to have an unveiling on Monday, April 19th, which is the 95th anniversary of the construction of this. So we are going to be having a formal unveiling, but it's going to be kind of cool. It's going to, it's going to really highlight the engine, and it's going to be something very visually or pleasantly visible in the park. And, and it's... it's it's uh, and it'll be accessible. So we're making platforms in there. We're putting stairs up. We're trying to do everything uh, so it can be uh, visited by by the folks. But it's going to be a, a nice structure, and uh, and we we're going to kick off the fundraising on the 19th. We already raised some funds, and we're going to kick off major fundraising strategy and hopefully get people involved. Um, so if anybody wants to know more, just visit our Transcon Museum uh, website, and you'll actually have a chance to volunteer as well. We have volunteers who've been working on the engine for most of the summer or last summer, um, doing things and, and fixing it up inside. But we're ready for the campaign. It's going to be exciting, Brent. Well, you know what? Um, I've not declared this on the air before. My mom may have been born in Montreal and grew up there until she was about fourteen. But she spent the rest of her her early years before getting married in Transcona. So I have Transcona roots as well, Brett, and I'm proud of them. And one of our listeners has sent us a text with a story that is incredible. Very brief. I'm going to read it this way. I lived, I lived in the train engine in Transcona for a few days in the late 1960s. Because family was moving to Fort Gary, and I refused to leave my precious Transcona. <laughs> well, we picked up his uh, his Coke can, cokes and and other stuff in the back of the edge. We're cleaning up, so he can pick it up anytime he wants. <laughs> but, but tell that person to definitely contact the museum and. We want volunteers. That'd be a perfect person to come back and share that story, and we'll put it on our website as a as a story. That's interesting, and uh, and that's good. He was one of the last living residents on our engine, so that's a good story. <laughs> so, Peter, before you go with this structure, then, so it's going to be—is it going to be like four walls and a roof, or is it going to be made of glass? Like, what's it going to be made of? Uh, right now, our our um, our initial plan is going to be the roof. 
uh, one back wall and the three sides open. And then a, a fence will be like a nine feet or something fence, but it will be able to get into once we have openings there. But it's going to be a nice structure. It'll be open. It'll be a nice color. Right now we're looking kind of a white with a red roof to see in red. And uh, it'll be just something you drive by and you'll be very proud. And it's to attract people, not just from Transcona, but from all over Canada who want to actually bring their youth and children and others to actually stand beside a massive engine and see what it was like in the old days and kind of get a real feel for it up close and personal. Scott, uh, sorry, sorry, Peter, one of our listeners, Scott, just uh, texted in, and he's a, a super knowledgeable individual, and I don't know if this is tongue-in-cheek or if there's a connection here. Transcona equals transcontinental. Is there any historical fact to back that up? That's where the name came from, transcontinental. That's true. You know, when I grew was growing up, Peter, uh, when I was a kid, just a little kid, I thought that pretty much all of my friends at school, their dads all worked for CN. I just thought that's what you did. You grew up and you worked for CN uh, because most of the guys worked for CN. When I when one of my buddies told me his dad was a police officer, I thought, okay, so it's either CN or a cop. <laughs> yeah, it, well, exactly. I was one of the ones who didn't go that way, but I kind of regret not doing that. But a small point of interest, my grandfather worked on that engine and his job was building taking a big piece of metal putting it over mold and pounding it every day with a sledgehammer to make the top bubble on top of the engine so that was his job so when i see that engine there, i said we can't let it go we need to keep that there because history everybody can tell a story about somebody worked at cn who worked on that engine or saw it or heard it so we need to protect that that's our job as custodians of the museum and artifacts. Well, Peter Martin is the co-chair of the Save 2747 committee. He is a board member at the Transcona Museum. By the way, Peter, you're, um, you know, I, I am a proud Transconian, but you're an expert, you're an authority uh, figure or a force, as Kevin the Garbage Man was saying, we need a better word than authority. So do you say Plessy or Plessies? Uh, Plessy's Road, Plessy's Road. That's how I say Plessy's. Yeah, I Plessy's? say that's Plessy's. Oh, okay. I may be wrong, but I'm old. I'm 75, so <laughs> I make mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> You've earned the right to say it correctly or incorrectly, Peter. It yeah, doesn't matter. No, yeah. <laughs> as long as you own it, I think that's a, that's the way that goes. It's right. It's all, yeah, tomato or tomato. I don't care. <laughs> well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us to tell us about this. And if you want to see, if you've never seen this train, it's on Plessy's Road. It's just north of Kildare. It'll be on your right side if you are heading north. And uh, it's a wonderful old train, and they've done some great work sprucing it up. And this structure sounds like it's going to be exciting. And, and we pointed to other landmarks, and we got some texts from listeners talking about other landmarks, uh, neighborhoods. Uh, Vince pointed to, don't forget the banana in Melita. No, of course not. Not familiar with that. Uh, Dale says the tank in Charleswood. That's right, outside the Legion in Charleswood. That is a landmark in that part of the city. No question about it. Uh, Scott went on to say, I got to finish the rest of his text if, if you can oblige me uh, 10 more seconds, Brett. Transcona equals transcontinental, but they couldn't get the train across the street. What? In terms of moving the 2747. Oh, oh yeah. To the library. <laughs> to the library. <laughs> uh, go look at the train. It's neat. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.